What's up everyone? Thank you for tuning in to Just Two Guys Talking. Today's topic is about leadership. What does that look like and how does it look like in today's world? We have guy number three, which is a guest, joining us for this topic. And for everyone who is new, I just want to give you the down low on what Just Two Guys Talking is about. Just Two Guys Talking is a podcast where the premise is Our names are not important. Our backgrounds are not important. The only thing we want you to listen to is the ideas that we bring to the table. That's it. If it works for you, cool. If it doesn't work for you, cool. We don't care if you don't like the information. We just want you to listen, work that muscle in your brain. And the way this podcast is set up is so that we remove some of the biases for you, the listener, without giving you our name and without giving you our background. We don't want you to make a story about who we are. We just want you to hear the ideas. That is it. So with that being said, have fun listening to today's topic, which is all about leadership. And uh, yeah, I'll catch you on the other side. What's up, everyone? This is Just You Guys Talking, where the premise is our names are not important. Our backgrounds are not important. The only thing we really want you to listen to is the ideas that we're bringing to the table. So with that in mind, I'm going to jump right into it. Guy number two, what is the topic today? So first, before I get into the topic, we have uh, our first ever guest on episode seven here, uh, guy number three. And uh, guy number three and I were talking about a couple things that were happening in Congress recently. And I said, man, that would be a great thing to get into. Not necessarily what happened to Congress, although I'm I'm sure we'll get into that, but also uh, leadership, how it looks, how it works, uh, what kind of leaders do we want? What kind of leaders do we get? And since the world is deeply politicized right now and it's never going to get disentangled in any way, shape or form, it seems like a great topic to discuss so that maybe somewhere, anywhere, we have a conversation about what kind of leaders we want and get on the same page with each other. Right on. No, I really vibe with that. Uh, guy number three, um, uh, what, where are you tuning in from? I'm tuning in from the comfort of my own house at the moment. Mm-hmm. And I, wanna, I do want to say thank you for allowing me to be on your show. And it is something that I'm excited about. And something that I'm excited to, well, at least to be able to contribute to this conversation about how we feel leadership is. Thank Definitely. You, We're honored to have you. Um, yeah, I'm super excited. Um, so go, go for it, guy number two. Yeah, yeah, guys, what, what do you think goes into leadership? When I was trying to like, you know, I, I write a lot and I, I, I've very briefly dabbled in like, you know, looking at different leaderships across, I like looking across history, I like looking across culturally, and thinking like, you know, who does what and for what people and what we want. And, and for me, the biggest thing that came to mind that comes to mind, you know, I got some like very briefly into Marcus Aurelius, who was basically Caesar. Yeah, <laughs> he was yeah. Caesar, not basically Caesar. He was Caesar. And one of his stoic philosophies that I really enjoy that that he seemed to espouse was something along the lines of uh, he's not the expert in the room. He's the mediator between experts and he gives everybody their due and their time. So mediation was a big, a big thing that seems to be like, for me, I'm like, I don't really want an expert. Like what political figure, if we're getting into leadership, is an expert at anything other than, you know, I look at Obama. Obama's a great uh, communicator, you know, he was a great mediator. And I I felt like that that's what his power was. And what do you guys think? Yeah, I like uh, what you're touching on. It kind of reminds me of how, like, you know, when you say mediation, it's, it's kind of like 
direct being like a really good director of energy it's like Mm -hmm. all right you know i know this person has this one skill and if the leader is you know in my opinion a good leader they'll be able to uh drop their ego and allow the the funneling of that uh energy to go exactly where it needs to go rather than um attaching their their name to it and receiving credit in some shape or form uh yeah that's my two cents on that what what about you guy three I agree with all of that. I think the key thing about being a leader is also being able to acknowledge the fact that you don't have all the answers, that you aren't an expert on every little topic and being able to um, bring someone in with more knowledge than you do on a specific topic and be able to get their actual opinion because a real leader isn't just someone who knows everything, someone who has all the answers. It's someone who can be able to delegate specific Mm -hmm. tasks towards people with more experience and knowledge than them and be able to trust that specific person or people to successfully complete the task in hand and not Mm -hmm. feel like they're the ones that have to come up with the answer just because they're the de facto leader. Right, right. And I think something you kind of pointed at is like, you know, you get people to contribute, right? Mm -hmm. You you want to get people to contribute to the cycle. You don't want to be like, you know, I think currently, you know, in the US, and I don't know what Boris Johnson's like, but he sounds exactly like Donald Trump. Sorry for anybody who's a Donald Trump supporter. But like, honestly, Donald Trump more often than not takes this grandiose narrative of of him being the contributing, sole contributing factor to decision making. And unfortunately, you know, there's Alan, there's an Alan Watts, uh, uh, little uh, lecture, I guess, from back in the day where he said something along the lines of like, you know, if the president of the United States doesn't delegate, like the brain delegates to the body to run the organs, yeah. if he doesn't delegate, um, then the whole system collapses upon itself because there's no way that, that somebody can be up at night be like, I have to make all these decisions. You wouldn't be able to survive. So clearly just by that logic alone, maybe it's not a perfect heuristic, but he can't be making all the decisions. It's impossible. Totally. Re- You're right. I think if when look when you look at it at that sense when you look at it especially um, on the sense of Donald Trump at the beginning of his presidency and you can say like one of the biggest mistakes that were made and this isn't a mistake about Trump or his presidency so anyone who's listening who might be a fan of Trump this isn't a knock on anything that he supports or any of his viewpoints but I would think a mistake that was made later on in his presidency that I felt he got right at the beginning was mm-hmm. being able to have those specific people in the right spots in his cabinet that were mm-hmm. good for whatever it is that they were doing. He was able to delegate well. There were many examples of people who were part of the Trump administration mm-hmm. who were doing their job really well. For instance, his national security advisor, H.R. McMaster, his um, secretary of state, Rex Tillerson, he had many people throughout his position that he delegated the position to that were doing a really good job. And I think that was why I would say like the first year, there were a lot of successful things that were going on, regardless of how you feel about the man or his policies. He was able to be a proper leader by delegating positions or delegating people to specific positions of their strength. And mm-hmm. I would say a lot of the mistakes that were made throughout is not about the policies or anything like that, which is a completely different topic, but the fact that a lot of those people left the position just because of how he felt personally about them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think that was just ended up being a mistake because now you have people in the position who may not 
have had the experience or the expertise as the previous ones. Mm -hmm. um, just to jump in, uh, since you're talking about, you know, that he made some good picks and for these positions, what are some of the ones that stood out to you as like a, a solid pick in your opinion? For me, surprisingly enough, I felt Rex Tillerson as Secretary of State was a really good pick. And this is actually someone that some, a pick that I wasn't in favor of at the beginning. Yeah, I, because he was one, the CEO of Exxon, or he was, I, I believe, the CEO. If not, he was one of the leaders of Exxon. So you could take the stereotypical just mindset of, oh, another um, big corp corporate CEO now joining the uh, political administration. Oh, that's terrible. And I remember yeah. that was my first mindset when Rex Tillerson was chosen. But then when you hear him talking, when you hear about decisions he made as Secretary of State, when you hear about issues that he supported the way he was dealing with other countries, I was very, very impressed. He mm -hmm. handled it in a very diplomatic way. He handled, handled it in a way someone who should be Secretary of State should handle it. He actually did very similar to how I feel Hillary Clinton did when she was Secretary of State under Obama, or how Colin Powell did when he mm -hmm. was Secretary of State under George W. Bush. These are all people of different parties, Republican and Democrats, who are both serving, who are all serving Republican and Democratic administrations, who all have a commonality of being able to handle this job, this foreign affairs, which is what Secretary of State's do. And Rex Tillerson, I believe, was really able to handle the diplomatic aspect of that position when he was Secretary of State. Mm -hmm. oh, right on. And we're talking about Secretary of State. We're talking about somebody who is foreign policy expertise, right? That's what that's what we want out of them. Yes. And if you're talking about a guy who's working for something like uh, Exxon Mobil, and I just Googled it, he was, you know, for Yemen, um, you know, oil and gas energy sector. You would imagine that he's had a lot of dealings with people in all, all parts of the world, especially as it pertains to oil and gas. And, and for us, a lot of those regions are not regions that we have had the most historically uh, best relationships. relationships with Yeah, over the last decade or so. Um, so, you know, you, you'd want somebody who comes with that expertise, who has shaken hands, who has built rapport and made, made friends, you know, outside of you and, and choosing that person. I think when you, as a leader, when you're choosing these people, you're choosing them based on not just their skill set, but their network because their skill set usually bleeds into how, how expanded their network is. Right. I hear network. I think net worth. Like, yeah, I, yeah. I don't ever, I don't ever think you can really remove the two from one another if you have a good network you're gonna be fine totally 100 um, so what do you guys think so mediation you know guy three you said something that i thought was great was that that trump took things personally and you can't personalize these experiences if you're trying to delegate properly it, it's almost like you have to remove your emotional capacities to an extent from the job at hand because you've got a job to do right it's for the greater good and I, you know, I don't think that he's necessarily acting for the greater good. I, I think he reminds me of uh, Tony Stark's dad from uh, from Endgame saying, "My, you know, the greater good has rarely outweighed my my self interest." Yeah, and, uh, I definitely see that with him as a leader. If it if it pertains to him, it's beneficial. Um, but sometimes, you know, we, when we were talking about what was going on in Congress, and maybe this is a great way to segue over. Um, I know guy three and I were chatting about it on the phone and you were like, I'm not sure how to take this. Is this a political move? Is this sincere? And I was like, for the first time, like, I think it's sincere, but the byproduct. So, so we can get into that. We can get into that. All right. Um, you know, guy number three, what did you see there? Well, what, when we're talking specifically about what happened in Congress, we were talking about the kind of ruffling the feathers that happened with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. When you had you... a congressman. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Are you, are you familiar? Yeah. 
No, could you uh, like debrief me on this one? Yeah, yeah, guy number three, go for it. Yeah, you had a Republican congressman, Ted Yoho, who insulted very offensively Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, calling her an idiot or really stupid. I forgot exactly the words that he used in the initial um, in the initial phrase. He called her he a was crazy bitch. Yeah, he eventually called her a crazy bitch. Yeah. And a very inappropriate phrase, and definitely something that you shouldn't call anyone, especially not a young woman in Congress. And it was definitely a disgusting thing to say, and obviously all the media picked up on it. And and Ocasio-Cortez ended up going to Congress and giving a really amazing speech. Mm-hmm. A really amazing speech, denouncing it and also denouncing what he said, but also refusing to accept the apology, because in his apology, um, Yoho, which obviously is a given, given he had to give an apology once the media, yeah. once the news networks picked up on it, he mentioned how he has a couple of daughters who are about her age, and he said, "This isn't the, what I want them hearing. This is what what I want them listening to," and uh, he's right. You have a point there, but her response was. I also, I'm also the daughter of somebody. And just because I'm not your daughter, you think it's okay to call me that? I'm still a daughter of someone. Would you be okay with someone else calling your daughters that? Totally. You're not theirs. Yeah. And it's, and it's, and what she said when she was calling him out and refusing to accept his apology, it was, it was very good. It was very powerful from what she said. But I think the issue that I was coming across when I was just thinking it through, and this is what, when I was talking to guy number two on the phone, was whether or not she, I think she was using this to, I think, further the move, uh, further her movement in a way. What is further her movement? Just, I would say just in, in overall, just coming with basically a lot of, a lot of uh, just feminism in the far left and okay. just third wave feminism bring it. And it doesn't like negate anything that she was saying when she was calling him out or saying it's okay what was called against her. But I think part of me thought that she was enjoying, not enjoying what was said to her, but enjoying the controversy in mm-hmm. a way, because then she could base, she could further make a comment about the movement in general to further bring attention to a cause like this. Sure. Gotcha. So- would you would you say, guy number three, that you saw it as because I think we both kind of came up with like a joint vision of what was going on. For for one thing, uh, the word bitch uh, being reserved for women is a longstanding and outdated notion that you know I think at this point most of us should be getting on board with. It's just kind of like yeah, I mean you can call anyone a bitch, but it, it indicates uh, like a subservient beta beta yeah. female. Totally. As, a, as a male, if I called another male a bitch, I'm saying I can fucking pound you out and like there's nothing you can do about it, bro. Yeah. And so if you're saying it to a woman, it's the same thing. And, and it's, it's specifically denigrating in that way. And in that way, I felt what she was saying. And I also felt that she's in, entitled to, yeah, as far as freedom of speech goes, and as far as being a public figure to speak up against something like that, that has been a reserved uh, gendered topic, you know, pretty much. I don't know, for as long as I can remember. Yeah. But on top of that, um, did you look at it as, do either of you see this as, and guy number one, I know you haven't seen the video. It, she's quite eloquent. She puts it quite well. A yeah. lot of it, a lot of it is very much, I'm using my platform. I am not a victim. Mm-hmm. Kind, of, kind of talking. Although to a degree, I'm like, I think you're feeling, she said my feelings weren't hurt. I'm like, no, your feelings have to be hurt to, to you know, incite a movement from you. But I, I understand what you're trying to say. You're saying I'm not victimized. I've heard this yeah. before. This isn't new. Um, although I think if somebody called me a bitch, I would be like, 
wow. <laughs> like, you yeah, know, yeah. Like, um, but, you know, guy number three and, and guy number one, just based on what you've heard, you can give us your take too. Did you see it as kind of a, a mid ground between um, here's the movement that I want to bolster and, and make stronger and make more apparent in the public eye? And here is some sense of truth. This is an authentic hurt individual talking about their hurt as you know as a woman but also just as a fellow human being who's supposed to be a colleague totally uh i'm gonna just jump in on this one because uh, i got some thoughts yeah. um just from what i've heard i haven't seen the video at all uh so you know we could, we could uh, pull it up it's not hard to pull up yeah no worries uh but from what i've heard this this is kind of like what it sounds to me it sounds like um one like we, we all have to acknowledge that this, there's a game being played here. Like mm -hmm. everyone here is a part of Congress and they're agreeing to the rules. They're agreeing to like the way they, you know, uphold themselves. So we have some kind of situational of uh, there's, there's, there's power here, you know, there, and there's levels, there's, there's a hierarchy that, that I'm out and that I'm seeing. And it sounds like, uh, what was the guy who was speaking to her? What was his name? Yo Ted Yoho. Ted Yoho. Sounds like Yoho is, um, essentially like he he's like he's operating as like quote unquote like this ideal the ideal image of like the party and he's casting this negative view upon aoc and she is she's being casted as this negative image and he apparently utilized his daughters as saying i don't want them to hear what she's saying because in another way of saying that he's saying because i would see them as a bitch and no, no. So I think I think you might have it flipped around a little bit there, actually. Um, okay. So, so because if they were, if his dogs were acting like AOC, he's essentially classifying well, him as a bitch. Well, what yeah, he was saying yeah, when he referenced right. the daughters was more like more in his apology when he exactly. was apologizing to her. Right. Right. But it's not that, an apology. No. Yeah, it's, it's like the non-apology apology. Exactly, right. which is like him casting this view on the negative image, which would is he's trying to cast um aoc has the negative image of what he is opposing um but yet they're on the same team and so um and then like and so okay so now that i've like addressed that part okay there's a game being played this guy he, you know yoho he's like he's the ideal image he's casting aoc as a negative image he's trying to get like this uh this angle and he, here's like the ploy is like if he had enough you know, people backing him, supporting him, giving him enough power. Essentially, AOC could be written off as like the negative image here, but that's as, not the as, case. As the crazy, crazy hysterical women. Exactly. Woman wanted. Yeah, because like AOC. Or something is, akin to that. Yeah, Yoho's not thinking as AOC as an individual. He's thinking of of her as like the the general topic of, of just a female woman, because he had to bring his daughters in in this weird like subservient kind of apology. And I, and, you know, I got to say, like, I, you know, when you're talking about uh, guy, guy number two about AOC's emotions, you know, being hurt, um, you know, I, I bet, I bet she is hurt, but if she admits that she's hurt, then she's playing to Yoho's um, casting of the stone. She's basically reflecting off and saying, Hey, I'm not that negative image. Um, you tried to hurt me, but sorry, I'm, I'm going to just, actually bring up this other topic that you so kindly brought up for me now we're going to actually talk about you know some of this uh drawn out conversations when it comes to the identity politics within congress 
And so, I mean, like for right now, that's kind of like where I'm at is like, I see a game. I see that AOC was trying to be casted out as like a fucking pawn in this one instance. And Yoho, um, sounds like he couldn't save face. Sounds like he fucked up. Hmm. No, yeah, he definitely did mess up in that sense. I always, the thing that I was always thinking about was, did he go after her? Did he make the comments to her because uh, like that he, she was a woman and that he felt higher than her and that she was subservient? Or was it because of her political views because she's someone who's a democratic socialist, someone more on the extreme version of the left? Was, it more, was he thinking more about, about her political views or her gender, or was it a little bit of both? Would he have done this towards a male who has the same views as her, which there are many male. There are many right. people who are male. Right. Part of my noise on my end, if you hear that. No, no, it's fine. It's okay. and I, I completely agree with that as well, to the extent that I think it was about her political views. And I think if they were on the same side, he never would have used that language to, to depict her, even if he disagreed with her. Agreed. But I think, I think that he used the language. The language was just used in conjunction with an association towards women. It's low-hanging fruit. It's low-hanging fruit. If he had said, uh, you crazy asshole. That's not a genderized, everyone's got an asshole. That's not a genderized, uh, uh, you know, pejorative. You can yeah. call her an asshole and like, he may have like, he may have looked rough, but he probably would have looked good to his base. Um, totally. Like he's like standing up for, for what we believe in. He may think that her policies are crazy, but what he, when he called her a crazy bitch, you're saying, you're not saying crazy person. You're saying crazy woman. And yeah, that puts everyone like other. That, well, that puts everyone in a bind because yeah. like, maybe she is crazy in her policies i have no idea what he sees behind closed doors but like treat her as a crazy other or or as like something yeah to treat her to treat this other human being as less than it's like you're less than me you know shut the fuck up like right and so is that the leadership we want to see if you know we want to see somebody who who advocates for you right you want you want someone who advocates for what you believe in but like how do we want them to advocate Totally. It sounds like um, in this in this one situation, it's like, okay, yeah, we heard, uh, you know, what Yoho did. Uh, oh, hold up one sec. If uh, guy number two, could you take this over and, and chat yeah. with guy number three? And guy number three, I mean, you, you are much more politically savvy than me. I know you spend your time uh, uh, really thinking about this stuff. Um, how, I mean, how, how do you think he could have conducted himself, you know, and, and guys, again, unbiased conversation here. We're not letting our political affiliations be known. We're talking about strictly the ideas behind leadership. Yeah. So how do you, how do you think that leader, you know, as a leader, he could have conducted himself in a way that maybe, you know, he came back with contrition about doing what he was doing. He put his tail between his legs. Like I shouldn't have done that for the sake of my daughters. What else could have gone on? I, I think what he said is less specifically of his ideas and how he felt and more of a symptom of just the of what is going on in Washington DC the past two decades yeah. the past two decades the just the toxicness the toxicness of just people the of the partisanship of how people really have hatred and I don't say that widely they have legit hatred towards people of different political views and it's just the nastiness that comes from both sides, both Republicans and Democrats, who have said very nasty things towards people, in um, towards people on the other side. Mm-hmm. And I remember um, about 15 or so years ago, there was one thing I heard from George, President George W. Bush, when he was being very criticized heavily by liberal people 
and by the media. And he was giving some sort of address and people were giving, um, answering questions. And you can definitely tell by the way people were asking those questions, what side that they were on. And I remember, I forget exactly what the question was, but I remember George W. Bush had made a point saying how you may not agree with me, you may not support my decisions. I'll be making the decisions that I feel are the best and you may support it, but damn it, I'm going to support your right to feel the way you do. And that's wonderful. That's wonderful. And no matter how you feel about George W. Bush, whether or not you feel he was a good president or not, that is the aspect of a good leader. Right. A good leader to be able to acknowledge that you may not agree with someone, you may not agree with them or like what they're saying, but you defend their right to say it. You humanize them. You don't dehumanize yeah. them. You know, I, the same thing happened with Obama, and I hate to rag on Trump over and over again, but he, it's his fault. He, he, he made, you know, he raised the flag, and he, he's like, you know, the birther thing was so dehumanizing, in my opinion. I was just like, you know, you show your tax returns if he has to show his birth certificate. I mean, like, come on, man. Like, you're asking this guy who was born and raised in Hawaii. He's an American citizen. Or he, was he actually, he was born in the States, right? He was born in Hawaii. He was born in Hawaii. So, I mean, cut and dry, done deal. He's an American. And you're, you're, you're. This and guy even if he wasn't, he still would have been an American because his mother was an American. So. Right, right. And, and that doesn't necessitate that he's born within, within our borders, right? Yeah. So at the end of the day, he's an American. I don't even understand what the, the birth certificate thing was for other than, because he's legitimized, we know this, other than to just say, I'm going to dehumanize you. I'm going to make you look like you're, you're essentially, again, we're going to get back to the word bitch. You're my bitch. I can make you do whatever I want you to do. And that kind of behavior in politics is not politics. That's, that's playground bullying. You know, um, I agree. It, yeah, um, yeah. It's it's basically you just have to be able to. Res that, that's the key thing of um, a good leader being able to hear opinions that don't that you don't agree with, mm -hmm. and be able to acknowledge that that person who feels different differently than you still matters. And going right. back to the point of the issue with Ted Yoho, and again, like I said, he's just a symptom. It's right now no one is willing to listen to opinions that differ from their own. Mm -hmm. I actually talked recently to someone who I went to high school with, and this is actually on the opposite side of the spectrum. He was someone who's very, very liberal. And I remember he, I would hear him make comments or that none of what Republicans feel matter. He says, I don't care what they say. Like, I don't care what their opinion is. I don't care mm -hmm. about what they want. It's like, who cares? Like, screw them. And it doesn't matter. And right. I, 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 and I, that didn't leave a good taste in my mouth. I'm like, no, okay, even if you don't reason. agree with them, yeah. like how, why do they not matter? Why do a certain portion, millions of Americans who live in this country, why do they not matter to you? Right. Totally. And I think that's a very interesting way, you know, what you're all were talking about and just mentioning, you know, treating people like other, um, it sounds like he's doing exactly what he, he, do, he doesn't want. You know, it sounds like he's becoming the monster that, you know, he's avoiding. Um, or that he should avoid as a leader. Yeah, that exactly. That he must avoid as a leader. Um, so, you know. Yeah, like just, when, to, uh, just to clarify, yeah. just the listeners, we, we had a, a little hiccup where the, the minutes were being challenged. Um, we have unlimited minutes now, so don't worry. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, you know, it, it seems it seems to, to work like this as far as I can tell. Um, 
if you dehumanize someone, you can say what they value is unnecessary. If you can say what they value is unnecessary, you can treat them with extreme scrutiny and prejudice and remove them from the scenario. And, and guy number one and I have many times, guy number three, I don't know if you, you know, you, I know you listened to the first podcast and we discussed it maybe a little bit there, but the idea of, of uh, communication being a, a, dying, uh, a dying skill, let's say, it's a discipline yeah. actually, um, skill and a discipline, but you know, Definitely. the fact that, that people want to remove each other and disenfranchise, disenfranchise each other by putting them into conceptual bubbles. And what's interesting about bipartisanship is that you are already conceptualized in a bubble to your opponent. Yep. And, you know, I can automatically say, you know, if I'm on the left and someone's on the right, I can automatically say, we don't, we don't align politically. Therefore, our values about the world as reality should operate. Yeah, we're operating in two different realities. We're, we're operating in two different realities. Why would I let him even govern any of my thoughts? When it's like, no, but like as a human, we have more in common than we have opposed to one another. Totally. It's like this whole group thing. It's like, you know, it's like my tribe versus your tribe, except for now it's like, you know, modern, you know, we're living, we're still living, but we just don't right. have as many tribes. So we have uh, group affiliations mm -hmm. and uh, a lot of times, uh, if you don't have a strong like sense of self, a uh, strong sense of who you are, it's easier to give up your sense of self and trade for a group's identity. So you do feel like you're part of this tribe. You do feel like you're part of this community. And it's a lot easier to treat other people as other because mm -hmm. they're not part of your tribe, they're not part of your group. And, you know, I think, you know, from this is me just talking. Uh, I do think that that is something that we all kind of want. We want that tribal mentality still, uh, but when it's coming up, it's coming up in a very insidious way. We're we're dehumanizing others, and it, and in fact, we should, and we should be building bridges so we can communicate. Right. What do we have in common so that we could talk about that first? Yeah. It's, it's, it's the it's the basically the principle behind the word compromise. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, totally everyone should be compromising like no one's going to get every little thing that they want but when you compromise everyone gets a little of what they want right yeah exactly and, and you know to get back to leadership i think a fundamental uh, trait for a good leader is to like, let's say you go to a counselor and you, you and your spouse are having an issue mm -hmm. and you know you're sitting in that setting and and all your spouse is saying is you know let's say it's janine and arnold and it's like, you know, Janine's saying this, Arnold, Janine's saying this, Arnold, Janine's saying this, Arnold, for like an hour. And yeah. it's like, yeah, but what's Arnold saying? Like, yeah. you know, and that's that, that wouldn't be a very good uh, counselor. You want somebody who can say, okay, Janine, I think is saying this. Does that sound right to you, Janine? Janine says, yes. You look at Arnold's like, what does that sound like to you? Can you yeah. explain what you just heard and see if we can come to a point of understanding with one another? You, and I, and I want to jump no, in on no. that. Uh, when you say understanding, I just want to make it very clear to the listeners is that like, understanding here we're talking about definitions we're talking about definitions of the words that are being mm -hmm. utilized in, in the context given and that's all we care about and that's what you should, as a another human being should care about as well so when you have these situations where we have people um you know conflicting because they just can't hit the same topic it's because they have different definitions that they're operating from and yeah you know, when a uh, guy number two says understanding, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, is it, that's what you're saying, right? It's like, we just want to have clarity on our definitions. You want to get as close, if you can get to 99%, you'll never get to 100 because you don't know what they're emotionally experiencing. Totally. But 99% well, would be beautiful. 
Yeah, everyone needs to remember that the term understand doesn't have to mean agree with. Exactly. Right. And, right. and that's the key thing. And that's the key thing people make the mistake of where they'll just naturally assume that if you understand someone with an opposing view, you automatically agree with them, which right. isn't the case. Which has yeah. become pretty common, a common reaction these days. You know, we, we're all operating, I, I really do believe, from a place of emotionality over, over logic a lot of the times. And logic is not an absence of emotionality. Logic is just a form of thinking through the emotions you're experiencing. Because totally. you can't you can't remove emotions from logic. There's, it's just not possible. Yeah, uh, and and I will also add, like when you are thinking logically, you're trying to engage with those emotions strategically to see what they're telling you. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh huh. You don't want to be ruled by your emotions because they're not a good ruler. They're good right. servants. I was just reading something recently that was actually discussing that. And I always consider myself a very logical thinker when I can maintain my temperament, of course, mm -hmm. like, you know, when I can maintain it. And I was talking to somebody who was like, yeah, I said, they were telling me about an event. I said, well, what happened? They go, oh, well, she was feeling like this and he was feeling, I don't know what happened though. Like, I don't, I don't yes, know yeah. think they were feeling, but like my reaction to that wasn't right or wrong. It's just like, I don't understand it if I don't have the, the context conception. yeah i need the context i need to know you know black and white would happen then we could fill it in with the with the different you know color palette totally but, totally um logic does sift through those color palettes how else can this be drawn up how else can this be painted in uh, just like guy number three your initial reaction was like is this for her movements that like kind of make me feel a little uneasy or is this like for actual greater good i don't know which color palette to use so hold on just to clarify for me uh Guy number three, you, you were thinking at some point that AOC was utilizing this uh, for uh, maybe, correct me if I'm wrong, a malevolent agenda or more of a personal agenda that, that was just more personal. Sorry, sorry to call you out, guy three, but like, this is what we're, we were I wouldn't really say malevolent, but more like personal in a way, not okay. dismissing whatever it was that she was saying or the fact when she was calling him out. I agreed with all of that. Right. I was just, it seemed to me that she kind of was pushing herself into that victimhood type of category, mm -hmm. especially because of the fact that anyone who knows AOC knows that she gets ruthlessly attacked by conservatives on a daily basis. Yeah. And she seems to brush it off very easily. But in this specific moment, she okay. did not brush it off because of the language she used. And it makes sense. But the thing I was questioning is why it's not, not saying that what he said is okay or that it isn't a big deal because it is, right, right. but why does she seem to be focusing on this specific thing and testifying before Congress, not really testifying, but making yeah. a speech before Congress over this one act when she gets insulted in various ways on a daily basis. There is right. a specific reason. And it was making me think that obviously there was uproar on this, but would there be the same type of uproar if it, if it was a Democratic politician, a Democratic male politician, using the exact same words uh, uh, to a conservative woman? Would that's there fair, be as yeah. much uproar? That's that's a fair question. Uh, I'm not I'm not sure. Uh, people have gotten into the position of not wanting to damn their own these days, don't you think? Yeah, I and yeah, it sounds like uh, kind of like back to my point of like games being played. It sounds like. Yeah, AOC definitely weaponized uh, exactly what was thrown her way, this negative shade. And I do think that if it was a male Democrat on the stand, that he would have been able to navigate a little bit differently, but he wouldn't be able to weaponize this one um, remark as well as AOC 
because uh, here, here's like where it comes to like group power. Um, Congress gave Yoho power and he's utilizing it over her saying, hey, recognize your spot, you're below me. And AOC is utilizing this other power, which is uh, the identity politics that are, you know, essentially she weaponized in order to bring forth uh, more agenda and more of her agenda and also what she seems as like what apparently it seems to be righteous in her eyes. Yeah, I don't think you know, in terms of like power dynamics, and I, I hate that these things are always having to look at in power dynamics because that's fundamentally a root a root issue within the tension that we experience, not just in politics, but just in in uh, conversation and and co- you know common conversation, you know, all across the board. It's like who's more powerful, whose ego gets to survive. I don't think Congress ever get. I don't think Congress or the Senate or any position ever says here's this position for you to utilize towards a personal platform. Um, they want you to use it towards the greater good, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But like, I don't think that the, I don't think that the presupposition is that, Hey, use this position to go denigrate each other, but it has become the norm. And that seems to be in it. The, the yeah. issue, right? Yeah. I think that's like just humans being humans. I think that's just like my tribe is better than your tribe, you know, and I'm going to use every single trick in the book to remind you that my tribe is better. My group is better. Like, and even when it comes to like immature ways, like people will do things to get like a clap back against an opposing politician or opposing viewpoint to see like, mm-hmm. oh, who, who can get the best burn? Like if you guys yeah. see that 70s show, like the type of that 70s show burns, like who can burn the best? And I'm like, is this a sitcom or teenagers in high school trying to diss the other one? Or yeah. are, these, are these government officials trying to run a country? Right, right. Yeah, right. Yeah, what is it? <laughs> uh, yeah, like, it, there's not really a difference nowadays. Like, we never leave high school. I don't know. And, and if we want to be fair to try to be bipartisan, like, we can criticize Ted Yoho for saying what he did, and rightfully so. I can also criticize Nancy Pelosi during the last State of the Union when she ripped up um, the speech, Trump's speech. Yeah. And no matter how you, again, like, I repeat this for like the 10th time, no matter how you feel about politics, or even if you agree with Nancy Pelosi's aside just the immaturity of ripping open on li- on live tv trump's speech just because she doesn't like him like again it's yeah no yeah and right. didn't he didn't she like call out his weight or something while while she did that like yeah. i i thought i thought that was like a very low move That's um, low, bro. and you know i do got to say that like uh when it comes to communication um uh, and it comes to like finger pointing and name calling and um man labeling uh trump's trump kills it at that and he Mm. riled up pelosi for a long time just like you know little bits here little bits there and like look what happened she systematically fucking blew up like right uh, yeah it's trash on both sides it's a mind game you ever people people want to want trump's opponent people who don't like trump want his opponents to play the same game that he plays right is because of the fact that it worked for him in 2016 right yeah. on the election and a lot of people especially at the beginning of his candidacy weren't taking him seriously they didn't want to um, play the game calling him names the way he was calling other people's names because they said we're above this it's called integrity. <laughs> he won and now yeah. people are like you are just going to ignore him while he wins again Right. And it's just like, what do they take the high road and lose to him? Or do they take the low road and also lose to him? Like, yeah, that's, that's, that's one way to, that's one fear. And that's causing a, a warped perspective, wouldn't you say? Because it's like, it's kind of a part, a slightly delusional perspective. If I don't, if I don't play the game, you know, then basically we look weak. 
And yeah. it's like, look, if you got a sandbox bully, I haven't, I haven't been on a playground in many, many years, but I can tell you, I'm not getting in that fucking sandbox. Like if he's a sandbox bully, I'm going to go over on a swing set and like, yeah. hang out. You yeah. Know, and like, I like that analogy sandbox, you know, like that it, there's a container, there's a game, there's mm-hmm. a specific way the sandbox operates. Right. You're, if you walk into the sandbox, you got to play by the sandbox rules. That's king of the hill. You know, you need exactly. to come in and scare him out. No, that's like his domain. And, and it's kind of like the whole point of what we're talking about here. If we want to like mm-hmm. bring this full circle about the definition yes. of a leader, yes. that right. you can criticize the way people react to Trump. You can criticize the way his people react to others and just the whole back and forth, um, the back and forth issue that keeps going across, like who can be more negative toward the other person. But at the end of the day, that all comes like the behavior of the people in Congress and the people below of the country. It all comes from the top, from mm-hmm. the leader. And right now, Trump is the leader. And because mm-hmm. of the fact that he lives and loves doing those just name calling and immature type of attacks, that's what the response is from bo- people on both sides from right. below. We, what the leader is, is what people espouse to be. And that's the key thing about wanting a good leader because it'll, the, the, the type of leader you are will trickle down to the people right. who work for that organization. That's exactly what was in my head was cultural trickle down. And, and guy number one, I know you've worked in, in, in settings where you've had to try and promote a certain cultural ambiance. And, yeah. and do, you, do you find that's true? Do you find pretty much like every time, what, however the leader oh, operates, yeah. it's like a pathology that like spreads? Yeah, it really is. It's almost like a little virus. And uh, well, I, I think one, so, I, you know, working with, like leaders in companies, uh, one of the things I've realized is that when you have a negative leader, um, you know, we could bring this back to a, a really great book. We could talk about, you know, the book uh, Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. We could talk uh-huh. about extreme ownership from Jocko Willinks. Um, you know, a lot of these, uh, these military books, they really break down like what a core, like the core concepts of a really good leader is. And they say, and like, especially when you read the stories about them going through budge training, Mm-hmm. How they're on, like you know, they, there's this one boat, um, and it continuously wins, and they and they wonder why. Uh, it's because of the leader, and they they pinpoint the leader, they find the leader, and they're like, you know, all right, we're gonna take this leader. He's like, he's the best. He, he's he's, you know, dishing out everything. They call the jobs. He's like uh, funneling everything that needs to go where it needs to go. We're gonna put him with the, in the worst boat, and we're gonna see what happens. And if it's if it's if a good leader is a good leader, it could turn around the worst boat. And yeah. You're totally right when it's that when you say that it, it does trickle down. Um, one of the biggest examples that I've recently come across is uh, here's a prime example. Here's a really insidious one that is really easy to um, kind of like uh, fall victim to, especially in a lot of companies in you know today's world. Um, let's say you do have a good leader. You know, let's say you work for a really good company. Like you have a good boss. You, you really enjoy everything that they're doing. But when it comes to the conversation of money. Uh, the leader gets a little uptight and you sense like some tension and you kind of get the idea that you shouldn't be talking about money, even though you should be compensated uh, or at least you are presenting something that you think you should be compensated for. Mm-hmm. And when this leader uh, has this negative, like kind of like repulsion to the conversation of money, that idea permeates the entire culture and permeates the entire business. And it, and it, it, it is the blind eye of the leader who doesn't see what he is doing. He is sowing the wrong oats. She's saying he's making something quasi taboo. Yeah, exactly. And it's off the it, table. 
Yeah, it's like you shouldn't be talking to me about this. Like I'm a little like off the table conversations. Oh, they make me uncomfortable. Totally. So when you say like, yeah, um, like a a leader, a leader's attitude um, really influences the way a business is run, uh, a way a team operates. And uh, what I would like to say, the empowerment that the people receive can be tampered with. Totally. I absolutely agree with that. I absolutely agree because, and I think this is also the key thing when it comes to being a leader, because if you're going to be a leader in a positive way, you have to be able to listen. Mm -hmm. And you can see examples of failed leaders and successful leaders, and not just of this country, but think about just any small business or large business. You can see the businesses with bad leaders are businesses that have high turnaround rates Mm -hmm. because people just don't want to work for that type of leader. While when you see businesses with maybe the last most recent hire was someone who was hired five years ago and everyone's been there for over a decade, that shows you a good leader because people don't want to leave. They're in a good environment. Right. And I think the best indication of when you don't have a leader is uh, turnaround rate. What's your turnover rate? Like, you know, what's your turnover rate? Where you're, you know, I think of, you know, Donald Trump as a president has fired many, 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 many people and people have resigned. So, you know, I, I worked at a, a gym a little while back where the turnaround, I think, was like averaging eight months. Mm-hmm. And I was there for about a year. And uh, the leader that we had, he was a guy who had taken over from the original owner of, of, the, of the facility. And the original owner was a big culture guy. Like he was about promoting this culture and by, by promoting this culture, uh, the right people will, you know, fall in line with me and I'll get them. And, and it sounds like from what I understand, I wasn't there while he was, he was alive. He passed away and that's how ownership exchanged. He was like, that was, he was the guy, he was like a culture yeah. guru. And so this place built up. Um, but when this other guy took over, he didn't pay people well. He didn't, he didn't really reward them for doing, uh, their work or even when they went above and beyond, he didn't reward them. Um, he was worried about the bottom line. He was worried about how he looked. He was worried about, you could tell he, he owned and operated it with his wife. And I could kind of get the subtle intimation that he really cared about how he looked to his wife. Yeah, this um, image that he's trying to keep image. up, this ideal. The right. image, the right. key thing, the image. The, the image, man. The, uh, there's a, a Latin phrase, the imago dei. Uh, the image of God, essentially, the mm. deified image. It's like we're all trying to essentially either live up to that and get there. For him, it might have been his wife. You know, I got to live up to her. I got to pay tribute to her. And therefore, everything that isn't to that end is like just out. Yeah. But, like he used to talk about lenses that you look at business through. And like, <laughs> optics. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just like, bro, I don't think you're. I don't think you understand that when you're throwing out these lenses, you're saying that you separate the lenses and use each lens. Exactly. Don't see that they don't integrate well. And I find it, uh, sorry to cut you off. I find yeah. it very interesting that he was utilizing that term lenses and like how he was protecting his image. I mean, this is like, this is like for me, a clear example of how he's operating um, as an ideal He's telling you, hey, I'm seeing it through these lenses. And essentially when he says, hey, I'm seeing it through these lenses, he's saying, you don't have these lenses. You do not see what I see. And Maybe. even if you were to like, like you like speak to me the way I think it should be said, you're still not seeing it through my own optics and right. your reality is wrong. Right. And he's also saying, 
here's here's the way we choose to look at it and we and we stop at this six or nine or whatever it was and here are my limitations that i think are vast and therefore the dogma of these limitations is what we're going to govern ourselves by I'm like that's not flexible that's not fluid. yeah you need a leadership you know position that could say we can integrate new information and assimilate change so i have a question on this one so like uh this leader you know uh for compared to the first one not as good clearly um but i have another question yeah Yeah. when you let's say he uh let's say you were to throw something negative at him like let's say the business is being perceived negatively Mm -hmm. how would he take that oh man i'm trying to think back it's been many years now my my gut response of like bits of memories would be yeah yeah um if i told him directly he may talk to my bosses but it's going to blow back on me from my bosses so why would i tell him anything to improve the business if it's going to inevitably blow back on me and there's no there's no reward just risk totally yeah because like he he it's not his fault that there's a negative thing going on it's it's clearly someone else's fault so he casts the negative image to to the opposing party and it's kind of in a way leading off of fear because then when you have your bosses that have some sort of being told by their boss a specific thing now it push puts pressure on them to put you in your place uh, or so to speak right and you never want to have oh go ahead well yeah it's because then at that point you're being told or you're being ordered in some way by people who really are just doing their job they're doing their mm-hmm. job, even if they say things or tell you to do things that you may not like and being bad leaders in that way, they're not doing it out of the out of their own maliciousness. They're doing it because they're being told to from their supervisor. So they're basically, they have their own fear of losing their own jobs. So True. they have to then tell you a specific thing. Yeah. And that's, that's one uh, permutation. The way I remember it though, was, you know, big boss comes around ask guy at the bottom of the rung which i was what's going on at at, you know at on the front lines right what's going on in the trenches so i tell him what's going on in the trenches he goes to the generals and colonels and say hey this is what he says is going on is this true that's a mistake and they go well no it's not it's not a mistake i need to go back to my guy and you know strip him of, of his of his title his rank and just like you know shut him back down to let him know he's a privateer or, or private in this this you know yeah. military and my my big issue with that is here's what happens here's the insidious thing that happens you have to go and now when you have an idea of when something's going wrong you just tell your bosses cool you tell your bosses then your bosses tell the big boss and they get the reward from doing so as if it were their idea and you still get no reward. So you're at the bottom of the rung and you're going to get all the blame and none of the rewards, no matter what you do. Oh man. I I, I want to jump on in this one. Um, Everything that we're talking about, uh, if you know, you you know, guy number two, I've been telling you about this for such a long time, the book, Mm -hmm. the creation of me, them and us, Mm -hmm. Um, essentially this whole conversation, I've been referencing it uh, a lot. Uh, And guy number three, if you, if you really enjoy, um, these kind of dynamics and conversations, you got to check out that book. And I'm absolutely, I'm mainly saying this for the listeners, check out the book, the creation of me, them and us by Heather Marsh. It's, it's fucking phenomenal. But the other thing I want to touch on is, okay. So we've been talking about a negative leader. We've been, you know, kind of harping on this guy, you know, we've, we've built this construct. I want to touch on for me, the four traits that defines a good leader and probably was the leader that uh, brought up, the company that you're that talking about guy number to. two sure yeah and for me 
It's radical empowerment, it's radical transparency, it's a meritocracy, and there's servant leadership. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like in, in this, uh, this bad leader, there is no meritocracy except no. for there's only merit in giving him the, the ideas to that, that essentially are his, but they're not. How can he's, you serve me? Exactly, yeah. yeah. And he's like, he's not being a servant leadership. He's asking the others to serve me. Right. The transparency, he's not being radically transparent. He's utilizing, like I said earlier, lenses. You know, he or you said lenses. He's, uh, he's not being transparent about what these lenses are, are, are actually seeing and what they're, how he's justifying them for the, for the job. You know, and the last thing is like, he's not radically empowering anyone. In fact, he's no. telling you to, to not be empowered at all. Right. Like, how dare you be empowered? Right. It's, it's for me to know. It's not for you to worry about. Totally. It, which is, you can take, you know, a good leader, I think is also a great mentor. Who says, yes, you know, absolutely. I'm gonna I mean, I think you, that falls into radical empowerment. Totally. Yeah. hundred percent. You, you triggered it for me. Cause I was like, what would I have preferred he'd done with me? Right. Well, instead of like, cause he, he mentioned the nine lenses, I think at a, at a, a team meeting where, uh, I said something and he's like, look, well, I look at things through the nine lenses. I'm like, Oh, I didn't know there were only nine, the nine lenses. lenses. I'm sorry you have so many at the same time. Yeah. And, Jesus, dude. Did he understand? Did he understand? I, I don't even think he cared because he was listening to respond as far as I can remember. And that's a, that's a poor leadership strategy. It's a bad conversational strategy as well. Um, you can listen to response so long as it's on topic with what was just said. Seriously. But like I said, we got this little issue that we need to, you know, brush up and he go and he goes, uh, well, I have the nine lenses. I'm like, Whoa, buddy. Whoa. That's nice. Uh, I have an Oracle in my pocket. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I would say a good leader in that aspect is also someone who's been the little guy before, who's yes. been on the bottom once upon a time because they know what it's like to be at the bottom. They have perspective. Then, yeah. They have perspective. They know and they're willing to do the things that they need to do in order to be successful and be a good leader, which includes, like I said, listening to the little guy and understand mm-hmm. that their input is important. Yeah, I got I to gotta say – when you when you say listening, that's the number one skill for me. Like for for any leader, is like they gotta listen. I don't, I don't care who they are, and and I also gotta harp on this. You could be a good listener, and I'm I'm thinking about a few people right now in my mind. You could be a good listener, but if you have that stare, thousand yard stare, but you're listening you're really just not interested in the other human being that is there. I mean, like, don't get me wrong. We've all been in long meetings. We have thousand yard stairs and we just, and, we're, and yes, we are listening, but a part of you is not really that invested. And I like a present leader. I like the one who is in the room with me right now. I do not like the one who is in their mind, in their head. Yeah, no, certainly not. It makes me think of, you guys seen the movie white men can't jump yeah remember remember in the car when he's saying you know you you know he's like they're they're arguing about listening and hearing each other he's like no you can you can you can hear me but you're not listening he's no he's like he's like yeah you know i can't remember exactly what the exchange is like it's been a long time since i've seen that film but i i always thought that was a funny interaction because it's like you know it's so it it's such a subtle it goes back to your your idea about definitions it's like such a subtle difference between the definitions which one you feel is actually engaged right versus which one is a passive uh acknowledgement yeah it's like i hear you dude i hear you but it's this it's like all right that didn't answer any of my questions Mm -hmm. but i guess i'm heard 
Yeah. I can even give you guys like a very quick example of where I can where some place that I've worked, we've had a both a good a good leader and a negative one. Mm-hmm. I remember when I worked at a delivery restaurant many years ago, I started off with a leader who was I feel very weak at the time. And you can definitely tell by the high turnaround rates, which was sometimes as recent as like just a couple days or a couple weeks where people would quit because they didn't like it. Mm-hmm. And you had a leader who really didn't listen to the issues of the people that he, who worked for him, who worked there. He would criticize in a way the way someone was doing their job, when, whether it became like cleaning horizontally instead of ver- vertically. Yeah. And little yeah. things that didn't matter. But the issue that I had was the fact that he was never able to actually do the job himself. Right. And he would criticize in a way he once tried to have one of his employees work without actually being on the clock because by according to the owner, you couldn't be, they didn't want anyone to go for overtime. They didn't pay overtime. So they had to stop everyone short of 40 hours, but he still, he was still short staff. So instead of trying to hire new people, he was telling people to clock out before they were actually supposed to leave and stay for a couple of hours. Yeah. And a lot of people did it. A lot of people did That's it. Horrible. Other people were like, no. And that is, utterly horrible like you cannot do that now if i want to give another example i remember leaving that place for school and then coming back a few years later and it was a different woman that was the leader and i tell you how amazing this leader was this woman Mm -hmm. she was amazing the turnaround when i was there the turnaround was months and months i rarely saw people quitting and what i appreciated about her was that she would get her hands dirty if you were doing something wrong or if she thought you were doing something wrong, she wouldn't just explain it. She would do it first. Like when I remember there was one example of cleaning the floors when I was trying to clean a specific aspect and I didn't get everything. So she wanted to just show the proper way to do it. So she did it herself. She moved all the entire booth and showed exactly what it is you're supposed to do. And she did it for me first. And she was like, this is what you're supposed to do. Here's, Here's the technique. I've done, I've done the trench work. I've done my time. Let me show you the technique so that if you're serious about where you are, you can one day be wherever you want. Totally. Exactly. It's actually showing what's supposed to do. Like I'm willing to, to, I'm not just telling you what to do. I'm willing to do it myself and I'm teaching you the proper way to do it. That is the aspect of a good leader. Absolutely. That goes back to mentorship. Wouldn't you say it's like, you know, let me take you under my wing and, 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 you know, part of the the image of taking someone under your, under your wing is that I'm going to secure you from the storm outside right? yeah yeah if there if there's comets coming i'll take the hit for you this time and once you're strong enough and prepared enough to do it on your own i'll kind of ease you out of the nest there's a lot of a uh, bird analogy in that but like that's that's really what it's supposed to come down to and if you have a guy who is or, or woman or or you know whoever taking over a role and never actually piloting the experience as you said like you know if you get tossed the guy i was working yeah. was tossed into the role of leader and owner it's like you can be the owner bro but you're not the leader you're the totally. leader when i want to follow you yeah exactly, exactly. now nah, I, I love i love everything that that we're talking about um you know we so far we've talked about like what are a lot of negative qualities a lot of situations where there's a lot of you know negative leaders you know the image that we don't want the leader we don't want talked a little bit about you know some of the traits that a good leader has um let's uh let's talk about something to give the listeners a little bit more practicality when it comes to uh essentially their job let's say let's build a scenario where um there's this employee 
he understands or she, you know, they understand that like after listening to this, you know, they're like, you know what? The leader at work really doesn't, isn't, isn't performing. Um, mm-hmm. What do y'all recommend as, uh, you know, being like on the low rung, how, how do they converse with this leader? Like what, like, you know, suppose the leader that like, you know, they are the embodiment of everything negative that we just spoke about. They don't own, they don't, they, they, uh, they don't empower their people. They're not transparent. Um, they don't, you know, it's not a meritocracy and they're not serving leadership. They're not hopping in the trenches. Sure. It's uh, what, what are some tools? What are some tactics? What is something that uh, they can do to either, uh, tr- you know, uh, get a new leader in or uh, work with the leader or mm-hmm. get out? Like what, what is something that y'all would recommend? Yeah. Um, I've got a lot, but guy number three, if you, if something came to mind, well, I would say I have a couple, probably not as much as you do, but like just to put it out there, what I'm thinking of, it would depend on the situation and exactly yes. what for the person itself that we're talking about this hypothetical person, yeah. like what is it that they're looking for in this position that they're in? Because mm-hmm. it, it can also be dangerous if you are trying to do something to undermine the leader or Absolutely. what he may perceive as being undermined. And totally. if you're in a position where, for instance, you just need experience or you're in a position where you don't have another job and you need the money for another situation, I think you should always be careful in this situation. It's kind of like in a way of saying like, bite your tongue. Right. Like don't say things that will get you in trouble and that would, that, that would make your life a lot more miserable. Sometimes it is better to just bite your tongue, especially if what you're doing at that moment isn't forever. But right. if the situation that you're in is more of a career path, something that you, let's say you already have your degrees, grad, bachelor's, graduate, doctorate, and you're in, the, in what you hope to be your career path and you don't like it, I would say definitely um, make, make your opinion heard. Mm-hmm. Now, it's all, there's always a way to do it in a respectful way and you mm-hmm. don't want to be seen as undermining the position, but always try to make your opinion heard just to see like how much influence do you really have. Don't make it seem like you're undermining the leader, but see if you have a specific project in place, how much control do you have over that project? And then you can kind of judge how much power you have. And if you have very little, then maybe that situation is you may not have any control over what the leader does. And maybe that's a, a, a symbol that you or a sign that you should maybe look elsewhere for new opportunities. If mm-hmm. on the situation that you do have some power in that specific project, then maybe you can kind of grow your influence a little bit more to try mm-hmm. to get the leader to be the type of leader that you're hoping for. Right. Uh, I like right. that. And just to jump in um, on, on some of the notes that guy number three said, it, like if, if the, let's say you're in an ad agency and this is like your career path, you have, you know, you put in the time, you have a degree um, and you're working on this project and you want to move up because you want to become like the art director of the entire agency. But you're just not vibing with the art director, but you have control over this project. Essentially, one of the things that you want to hone in on is your KPI, which is your key performance indicator. And you need to focus in so much on it that it's unavoidable how good you're doing. It's so unavoidable that even the leader can't take ownership of how good you're doing. So, so what would the K- KPI be like a metric for success? Essentially. Yeah. So it's like, if let's say this, uh, this art, you know, um, this copywriter is in control of this, uh, this project and it it may just be them or maybe they, they may have someone else on their team, but they optimize 
whatever project they're in so much that the, let's say the, uh, the client gets a, a, a bigger return on their value than when they, what they thought they were going to get. And it just blows them out the water. It's just like, mm -hmm. it's like, Hey, um, we're, we're, we're going to pay this company $20,000 for this ad campaign. And, uh, the copywriters. Okay, cool. Uh, how much money you guys are trying to get out of this? Okay. Uh, 500,000. Okay. That's very interesting. Uh, let's check out like what your project is project comes across and this person, uh, theoretically, okay. The leader isn't doing it for them. It's really just ragging on him, uh, or them. And well, they, if they focus in on their, on their KPI for this one instance, uh, this whole project, they optimize it to the, the Supreme and they bring in a million dollars, bro, that, that, dude is now going to get a conversation with someone above that leader, um, whoever the owner of the company is, but if it's I, it, ideally, ideally, yeah, ideally. Yeah. Um, so what, what I'm suggesting is essentially become unavoidable on how good your work ethic is. No, yeah. Nothing screams more like success. Like if yeah. you were successful in what you do, that's, that's all like, like what the owner wants to see. That's all the owner wants to see if you are successful in what you do, then that's all, all they see, like the owners of companies, CEOs, all they see are the numbers. And if you're right. successful at whatever it is you're doing, you're going to be taken seriously. Yes. Yes. Totally. But I'd, I'd also say, you know, if you do it once, you'll get opportunities. You need to be consistent before you're actually paid dividends for the investment of extra work that you're putting in. hundred percent. Yeah. So don't become, Absolutely. If, you, if you got a villain running your life, like don't become resentful right away. If you, you're not sure if he's a villain yet, be consistent, hit high figures. I always think of like the pursuit of happiness, you know, or, or, you know, uh, what's Will Smith's, the real life guy's name. I'm trying to remember it. But anyway, his character essentially as I think they're at what Dean Whitaker, Dean Whitaker or something like that, mm -hmm. some, some trading brokerage firm. And he, consistently is is going above and beyond what is required of him when he has almost nothing if not nothing mm -hmm. and you know he gets to the end of his internship and he's like i you know like it was it was a cool ride like this is nice and these guys are like hell no you're not going anywhere you did that well when we weren't even paying you yeah like, we're gonna keep you here so there's something to that grit story of, of maintaining yourself that's important and we could talk about that in grit but as far as leadership goes how do you your, your question guy number one about about like how do you how do you approach your leader yeah. in a way that is non-aggressive, non-hostile, so you get your needs met. Um, my, my first indication, my first thought is, what are your escalation procedures? So, you know, your business is going to have cultural uh, mm, yeah. you know, expectations for those, but you need to have personal expectations for those. And this, this comes down to how well your character uh, conducts itself. And, I, and, you know, character is something you foster. So how, how well have you fostered your character in, in the setting? You never want your skill sets to take you where your character can't follow, right? So yeah. if they can't follow you into a meeting with your boss to get your needs met. That's an issue. And there's a reason why some people I think do hit that proverbial glass ceiling who do have the skill set to be much higher. It's all about, you know, I'm always going to take the guy with a better personality and a decent work yes. ethic over the guy with an amazing work ethic and no, no personality. personality. And oh my work. goodness. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen that so many times you're bringing up such a huge point uh, that, you know, that does need to be spoken about a lot more. Like your character needs to be able to follow who you are on the streets needs to be somewhat similar to how you are in the office. Right. Um, that you are comfortable, charismatic, confident right. in who you are. You own who you are. Right. 
and you're able to operate within your own domain. I love exactly. that. I, and love you that both, you that I think you both have heard me say it before. It was an insightful moment I had. I said, you need to leverage who you are for what you do, not what you do for who you are. Yeah, Everyone exactly. thinks that they need, they exactly. need to leverage their position for like their, their clout in life. And I'm like, no, leverage who you are, what you value. Show you, what you can bring to the table. Show what you can bring to the table. So when it comes to coming to your boss and saying, hey, I need, I need to get these needs met. If your boss is not playing ball, uh, as you said, you know, guy number three, like what, what's your affiliation with this company? What are you hoping to get out of this experience? Or, you, you know, is this a long-term venture? Yeah, um, know your why, why you're there. Right, right. And if it's a long-term venture, the conversation needs to be very different than if it's just short-term experience, because you can always get a job if you have a job. It makes it a lot easier. Um, so, you Especially know, if you're needed. If you're needed, needed, if you're wanted, if you're, right. if you have a specific skill set that many people want, make mm -hmm. yourself invaluable. Absolutely. And uh, understand that that makes you a bargaining chip of your own making. So you don't want to, you know, you want to make yourself valuable. Jim Rohn, who's a really, you know, famous businessman, entrepreneur and speaker used to say, uh, you know, don't, you know, don't wish, uh, you know, don't wish things were better. Wish you had more skills, something like that. Yeah. You know, yeah. Make yourself better. Um, you know, bring more to the table. So, you know, in a situation, if you come to your boss and you, you don't want to jump your boss to the higher boss, right? So that's totally, that's a, that's a rupture and escalation procedures. And you, you see that a lot, but you also don't want your boss to come to you directly. Like I was experiencing, mm -hmm. like that's also a, an escalation procedure gone wrong on his part because he's throwing off, you know, he's throwing a, a wrench into the machine to see if it can still operate. So you get someone like, let's say, and I keep going back to the president, where he's firing people that aren't directly under him, let's say. Um, why is that occurring? It's because you are, you are essentially saying, if something goes wrong there, that's an extension of myself, and I can go into the machine and start reworking it without, one, having a replacement strategy in mind. I mean, if, you don't have, if, you're, if you're going to your boss without a replacement strategy for a job, or if you're going, and again, we're talking about bosses here. These aren't yeah. leaders. This isn't a leader. A leader, you should not run into this issue. A leader will, will check in with you. A leader is diligent about your Doesn't needs. micromanage. Does not micromanage and, and make sure your needs are met because your needs are directly correlated to the means of the, of the larger mechanism, right? Mm -hmm. but with a boss, you know, bosses are scary. Yeah. Bosses, bosses fire and hire. Leaders cultivate and, and inspire. Like, I didn't mean to rhyme there, but that's the truth. That's true. And and it shows exactly like how to tell the difference between a good leader and a bad leader when you don't know yet. So mm -hmm. if you have, are in a specific, specific position and you have needs that are met and maybe you're under the impression that your boss in that specific moment is not a good leader, do right. you go and try to rag on him or try to find a way to undermine him right. or say like, oh, this isn't a good leader. He's not doing what I need to. Or do you try to go and talk about what specifically you need to be successful in your job, which in turn helps him? And mm -hmm. then that's what I think, or her, same thing, leader can be him or her. Yeah. And I think in that specific situation, if you are trying to bring something out in a specific business, trying to bring success that you think your boss or your leader isn't giving, you need to be able, kind of like guy number one, you were saying before, what is your why? Why yeah. do you need what you need and the key thing is how is how is what you're going to need going to help the overall company or group in the long run and if right. you can explain to your boss or your leader how you how he or she can be successful based on what you are doing and it makes sense then if they are a good leader they will immediately say yes you're right let's do it but let's find a way your, at least yeah, yeah. let's find yeah. a way but you have to put yourself in that position too to say this is what we need this is what i want to do to be successful 
Right. Totally. And I think, uh, you know, something you, you pointed out was like, how do you identify a boss and a leader? And I think in my life, the way I've identified bosses and, and it didn't strike me until recently, uh, I started a new job during Corona land. And somebody was saying, if you do this, you're out of here. If you do this, you'll hear from me. If you do this, you're out of here. If you do this, we won't be happy. That's a boss. That's a, I'm by the books and I'm going to get you like the boogeyman. You don't want to hear from me. Or yeah. a leader says, if this happens, we'll need to discuss how we can, we can improve that. Because that, again, is a cultivation mindset. Yeah. How can we improve your standing? Yeah, a real leader will say that as long as you bring the success, as long as you're successful in what you do, I'm not going to really question the specific little details right. that brought to that success because I'm not going to micromanage you. You right. do whatever you need to do to make sure this is successful. And if it's not, then we will start going over the little details to see what you can improve up because he's sure. that leader then would be trying to bring you up, not push you down. Exactly. Operating on your behalf, because if you see, a, let's say, a political leader talking out in public and, and denigrating an individual underneath their purview, um, the conversation should go one way and one way older only, as far as I can tell. They should say, I understand your frustration, your concerns. So if, you know, if you're talking to the media, he and I or she and I will be discussing this, we'll be talking about this, we'll be delivering ways we can improve in the future. Not, yeah, he's done. Get him out of there. Yeah. Like, that's just, ugh. That's gross. Yeah. Oh man, these, these these are all really good points. I also, I just want to jump on this one little area since we're talking about you know what a what a good leader is and how they can really empower someone. Um, and you know when you know your why and why what you're doing and what and how you're going to operate. Let's say you get all the communication down. Let's say you are that star. Don't forget you are the leader of your own self. If you can lead yourself when they are not micromanaging you, but you know your, um, you have a system, you know how to operate it, just be a good leader of yourself. And I think a lot of this would uh, essentially, you'll, you'll become the leader that you need and you'll attract the leader that you need as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think uh, what's funny is a lot of leaders when they turn into bosses are afraid they're gonna lose their power. Heavy is the head that wears the crown kind of thing. Yeah. If, like if you're coming to them with something and they have to fix it for you, you as their underling, and like they're serving you and it's gonna set that, that weird service mindset of like, you know, you're serving, you're serving your boss, your boss doesn't serve you. And therefore, if you're asking him for anything, then you're actually trying to take his position, which is some like weird, like lion perspective, like lion pride, you know, eight pride kind of perspective. Um, and it doesn't make a lot of sense. Simon Sinek, who I think. Uh, oh, great. Uh, <laughs> great author very, on very, culture. Yeah. You know, it's funny is I've never picked up a book, but I've watched a lot of his speeches. Oh man, you should. He's, uh, yeah. He's super consistent though in his speeches. I like, oh, yeah. for, all, for all of you out there who read, try listening to these people. You get way more out of it. In my opinion, you get, you, get to, you understand their character. You understand like their tone. Uh, we're wired to pick these things up. So like watch and listen. I find that way more inspiring and then pick up the supplemental material that is the book that they put. Yeah, out. totally. That's my two cents on that. But he's always talking about like, you know, a leader providing uh, that, uh, that act of service, uh, that, that sense that you're safe. And, servant and leadership. That, it's that servant leadership. And he's like, you know, I think he has this tagline where he says a leader should eat last. Oh yeah. Eater, uh, leaders eat last is also right. the name of one of the books. Right. And if you think about a lion pride where the lionesses go and, and, and get the kill and then, but the, the main alpha male gets to eat first. It's like, huh, that's not a, that's not a stable environment by any right. means. Like, you know, the, you know, the next lion that comes along, 
Um, like, like arguably, yeah, the idea is that he stays strong and healthy so that he can fend off any other lions that come along the way, right? Yeah. And but at the same time, we're not lions. Not everything's analogous in in species. Uh, certainly not with human beings. You're being fed regardless. You're staying strong regardless. Your needs are being met regardless. But if your lionesses haven't eaten, how are they supposed to hunt for you next week? Yeah. How are you gonna have a pride next week? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I kind of want to piggyback off something that you said, uh, guy number two, mm-hmm. um, about in a way how you perceive leaders, how the way that you react to specific situations. Because I think there is a difference between a bad leader and a tough leader. Sure. And I think yeah. sometimes there can be confusion. Confusion because people automatically assume a tough leader is a bad leader. And I'll give you an example. If you guys know Senator Amy Klobuchar, I'm um, familiar, familiar with the name, but I actually know nothing. Yeah, nothing she's a her. senator from Minnesota uh-huh. who uh, ran for president, and she actually made it to about the top five or six before she dropped out. And she was considered a potential vice president nominee to Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. And um, before, but during the presidential race when she was running, there was a lot of criticism from people who used to work for her because before she was the senator, she was attorney general of Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And before that, she worked as a prosecutor, as a district attorney, and things like that. She was a big time lawyer. And you had a lot of people who worked for her came out and said that she was a very bad boss. She was a terrible boss and a very bad leader in a way. But all that I was hearing were, it seemed to be situations not where she was a bad leader, but situations where she was very tough on them saying, you have to do this and you have to do this, you have to do that. I won't, I don't have, like, I don't remember every little detail that was brought up in that situation, but it was people speaking out against her for being mean, mm. for being negative, for yelling at yelling at them in specific situations. Now, you can agree or disagree because it's all about context in the situation. But the issue that I had when that came up is it didn't seem that the accusations being made against her was anything that she did wrong. Right. It seemed from my view that it was people's perception that was taking a hit and one of the thing or people's perception of her was a little different and one of the things that she said that i respected widely when she responded to these accusations was the fact that i'm a very very tough leader mm-hmm. i have high expectations and if you're going to work for me you're going to have to complete those expectations otherwise don't work for me right. and when you look at this type of situations that she had to work with as attorney general as a prosecutor and the type of cases that they get it's not for the faint of heart it's right. not just any not just any lawyer can go and work for it. you have to have very tough tough people being able to work for that so in a way i kind of understand sure where she was coming from and when people were speaking out just against her toughness and the fact that she was cruel to them and angry and bitter, would they have, do they say the same thing towards males, male prosecutors or male attorney generals in that same situation? Because mm-hmm. I haven't heard that. It seems that when a woman tries to act like a tough leader, people call her bitter or cruel, but not when a male leader is acting that way. Yeah. So I think that there, we need to decipher the difference between tough and bad because they're not the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And what I, what I hear in that though is, is I also wonder, uh, you know, gender, I, I know plays some role, but let's not, you know, my, my fear with gender and, and race and, and certain uh, topics is that they, they create unitar- unitary causality arguments. And, and although that's an issue and that's something to address, my question is, what's your incentive reward system? 
like if if you're working in a position like let's say attorney general it doesn't seem like there's a lot of extrinsic rewards no one's handing you a cookie for what you do you got to yeah. internally feel like Definitely what you're doing not. is is, is bigger than you and, and more valuable than the, than what you're getting in return. And, and that's, that's your call. Like you, you get to decide how much of a sacrifice your life's going to be for, for a cause that you believe in. Um, you know, when I hear tough boss, I often think, uh, or tough leader rather, I often think um, not a lot of rewards are going to be external. Um, and we have, we have marks we have to hit. Right. Yeah. I, Absolutely. I, yeah. When I hear a tough boss, I think of a meritocracy or at least I hope there is one. Tough like, leader, tough leader. Yeah, right. Or yeah, tough. Yeah, tough You're leader. You're saying bosses. They're different. They're yeah, so different. Yeah. yeah. When you have a tough leader, I want I want there to be a meritocracy. I want there to be merit in what you do, and that's how you get recognized. And you're not recognized for essentially you, your identity or who you are, your character. You're you're judged off of what value you bring. Mm-hmm. And a good leader knows what you find valuable. Yeah. Uh, you know, there is that employee that you need to give money to, and there is that employee that social praise, which we're human beings and, and, and totally aligned with, goes far. Hey, send out an email. They did great. Or better yet, I've, I've actually been in, uh, in businesses where I got an email about my performance, and I was just like, eh, after a while, yeah. it's appeal. It's like, reviews are stupid. <laughs> yeah, come, come tell me in person in front of everybody. Yeah, I agree. You know, like, you know, come, come give me my parade. I want my parade. There's also the tough leader who has to make the tough, tough decisions that would include firing someone who just isn't doing the job, yeah. isn't doing it right. And I think a good leader in that sense won't embarrass the person, no. won't, it would depend on the situation, but maybe brings them into the office and say, I'm sorry, but things aren't working out. I understand that you're trying hard. I will give you a recommendation towards your next job and explain to them how you're a very hard worker it's just in this situation it's not working out and tough leaders have to be able to make those decisions yeah they have to provide for their their circumstances and their context for sure um because at the end of the day they're still a leader at the end of the day they're still a leader you gotta make those tough decisions and i guess it's another one leaders have to make tough decisions yeah 100 percent. i could say i am a i've in my life experienced being a good teacher at times and being a good mentor at times but as a leader, um, when it comes to making those boundary decisions, that's an area of growth for me that like, you know, it really, I require because I haven't a, had too many situations where I've had to make too many autonomous calls. Although right now I feel that I'm making a lot more than I ever have. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, you know, that's, that's also kind of part of the position is can you make the decisions and, and decide what's in the best interest of everyone beyond the bottom line? Totally. Yeah. And take a full ownership of it, you know? Absolutely. And a lot of times you'll make decisions that people don't like, and it's just, it's impossible. You can compare it in a situation like with the TV show Scrubs. One of the common um, kind of reoccurring themes in a way is whether or not they can operate or on someone in the hospital who doesn't have insurance yeah. and the hospital may not be able to, the hospital can't afford to just give them the bed and you may have to kick someone out who desperately needs a procedure or who may die. And I think that's a separate situation because you could talk about the medical system there, but in that situation, whoever the chief is in the specific hospital has to make a tough decision. Do we, um, do we break the law? Or do we spend money that we don't have to save this person's life? Or do we follow the rules and say this person can't afford this procedure we have, and they don't have insurance, we have to kick them out? Either way, people are going to be upset. 
and yeah, you're not yeah. going to make everyone happy, but you have to make that tough decision. And, and yeah. the leaders, I think, recognize that they have that discretionary call that they can make, and they're not afraid to make it uh, when, it's, when it's justified, you know? There's, there's a big difference between what's right and what's justified in my mind. Like, what's right is kind of like, it's nuanced, right? Yeah. It's very contextual, Subjective. right? It's like, yeah, that, that, that might be right, but is it justified? Right. You know, like, is it just? Is it justice? Yeah. Um, Get Absolutely. To, get into lawyer speak after that, but you know, it, what would be what would be right versus what is just is very different. You kind of have to weigh those out. No, I agree. I feel like uh, we're we're getting pretty close to yeah. to an end here. Uh, it seems like we've been going on for a little bit of an hour. Um, is there anything that uh, guy number two, guy number three, do y'all want to touch on before? Uh, is there any topics that we're leaving on the table that we're not discussing? Yeah, uh, I, what's good? Not for me, but a thought that I kind of want to leave with is like, if you want to be able to recognize what a good leader is, cultivate being a good leader in yourself. As my as my friend guy number one puts it, real recognize real. Yeah, if you know the patterns of what makes a good leader from an intrinsic perspective, you'll know when your external circumstances are not matching what you believe to be valuable. Hundred percent, hundred percent, all the time. Yeah, that's Mm -hmm. that's super valuable information right there. I agree with that too. I absolutely love that. And I think the last thought that I want to um, mention is just the key to being a leader and being a good leader is listening. Being able to listen towards all aspects of a situation, all opinions of a specific topic, be able to listen to everyone and understand, and that's the key thing to be able to understand. Understand why someone feels the way that they do, even if you don't agree with it, even if you can think of 100 problems with their opinion and the way they want something to be done, you have to understand why they're saying what they're saying. You have to be sympathetic, sympathetic or empathetic, depending on the situation. You have to understand why, because if you don't understand why someone is feeling the way they do about a situation that you have to make a decision about, how can you make a right decision or a correct decision? Yeah. You can't make informed. You have to understand why people feel the way they do. If you're going to be a proper leader and you have to listen to them. Honor I love that. Associate, right? Honor your associate. And uh, I'm going to throw in one one last thing, uh, one last thought. I, I really enjoyed this whole entire conversation talking about a leader. But uh, this this is a beautiful little situation, a little metaphor, analogy, whatever you want to call it, story. Uh, what a good leader is. Uh, a good leader to me is someone who who is when the things uh, in the business that are going really good and it's going really well. He's looking through this window, and he sees the employees, and he's like, it's because of them. Right. They're doing great. And, but when it's going bad, that same window turns into a mirror and it's his fault. It's not his, but it's their fault. And that's, that's the definition of a good leader at its sure. core to me, uh, especially on top of listening and, uh, you know, real recognize, real embracing those leadership traits that they ultimately desire to, uh, you know, push out into the world. So again, like, like you guys are saying, trickle down culture. If you take accountability, then people on your team are going to take accountability too. And it doesn't have to be a point the finger kind of place. Exactly. Yeah. Fuck blame. Absolutely. So, Nonsense. I think this, this has been a wonderful conversation. I think we've probably maybe capped our, our usual uh, you know, time that we, we do these things. At. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. But, you know, having a third person has been great. Thank you, guy number three, for piloting this with us. It's been a wonderful conversation. Absolutely. Thank you for inviting me on here. This was a great conversation. I hope to come back at some point about any other topic of conversation that you would um, want to talk about. And this has all just been a great conversation and thank you for inviting me. Absolutely, man.
Heck yeah. Well, uh, to the listeners, deeply appreciate all of you tuning in. If you have any questions, if anything jumped out at you, anything of interest, please send an email to info at just the number two guys.co where either guy one or guy two will uh, reply back to you. And if you have a topic that you want us to talk about, please send it in. Uh, Until next time, uh, appreciate everyone listening. Talk to you later. Been real. Thanks, guys. All right, everyone. Thank you for tuning into Just Two Guys Talking. That was a spectacular podcast about leadership, and I deeply appreciate everyone just listening to it. We had a lot of great ideas, and as you know it, this was our first podcast where we had another person at the table with us throwing some ideas down, and it was a lot of fun. So get ready for next week. Uh, or the next podcast whenever we drop it you never know and enjoy the next one because we also have another uh, player at the table coming with ideas and next week's topic or the next podcast topic is is phenomenal it's all about health and uh, we're we're excited Uh, me me guy number one guy number two we're both fucking excited to be bringing this one to you and yeah we're just so happy that everyone is listening and if you could just please share out our podcast that would be phenomenal until next time i'm super excited to be bringing the next one to you so with much love we'll talk to you later